Hello and welcome to episode number 64 of Future Chat from Unwind Media. Every week on this show, we aim to discuss all of the week's most interesting science and tech news. So let's get started. With me today is my cousin and co-host, Mike Attrell. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great today. It's nice and summery. Sun's out. Couldn't, couldn't be better. Glad to hear it. We had Nick complaining about the weather on East Meets West yesterday in the yet unreleased episode. Nick, how are you feeling today? Well, unlike Mike, I do not have air conditioning. So <laughs> the summery weather is, uh, it's appreciated, but just a little less welcome. Too summery, one might say. Uh, too Ontario-y, almost. <laughs> <laughs> That's completely fair. There's, um, there's also pollen. I, I haven't really had the sniffles since getting here, and... Yet here we are. <laughs> now you've got them. It's all that rain yeah. we had a while ago. Need a good. I have a bit of that too. Good solid. Keeps growing. Bit of this dry spell just kill everything off. It's beautiful. <laughs> Guys, we have some bad news follow up today. <gasps> I was all excited uh, when I heard this week that about an hour before we started, uh, SpaceX was going to be launching its third Falcon Nine rocket attempt to uh the third attempt to rather than just letting the rocket burn up in the atmosphere land in the ocean they were going to try the third attempt to actually land it on a barge in the middle of the ocean uh intact uh we've discussed this on many previous episodes as they were leading up to or or having just finished uh doing this these two unsuccessful attempts um but they were very close on the last one everyone was looking so hopeful that it was going to succeed this time uh, I also found out that apparently a couple of Microsoft HoloLens units were on the Falcon 9 rocket this time. Oh. And I was wa- I was watching the live stream, and about two minutes, two and a half minutes in, uh, the Falcon 9 rocket uh, catastrophically failed and uh, basically just completely disintegrated. There Apparently there's going to be a press conference before 1230 Pacific, I think I read. Uh, where they're going to try to piece together what happened, but obviously there's going to be a long investigation into exactly what went wrong. But it's a very sad day for for space exploration. But well, ha- good overall, but a sad occurrence. Look at it this way, Rob. This is a negative result, but a negative result is still a result. Yeah, you got to make all the mistakes first before you can do it properly. Yeah, I know. Let's, let's take a moment of silence for those brave Hololens units. That that gave oh, their no. lives for this endeavor. The closest thing to sentience on that rocket. <laughs> even though, even though they weren't true holograms or true holographic entities, they... it's true. The worst idea ever. A moment of silence on a podcast. People will think their client is broken. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you, Falcon Nine. We love you. <laughs> they, they'll get it next time. Uh, apparently, this was the they had eighteen successful flights in a row, and then this goes wrong. And it was just like I was watching the stream as I mentioned. I was wa- I basically I remembered there was going to be around ten twenty. I opened up Twitter and I saw that there was uh, that it was a minute or yeah they were saying a few minutes to countdown. I opened the live stream, which is really cool. They have a live stream, by the way. And it was T minus one minute. And I was like, this is amazing. I can't, 
I can't believe my timing. And then two minutes in, it was just like, it was like a poof of smoke. It was almost like the stage was detaching, like it was supposed to happen. And just nobody said anything for a minute or so. And then it panned down to, or I guess it switched cameras back to the one that was looking at the launch pad. And it was just like dead silence for a minute. And then they were like, started talking about how there was a failure and they were looking into it. It was very sad. Though we can be thankful that these aren't manned yeah. flights. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah, the, the designed purpose isn't to get people up there. It's a pretty, it's a much smaller rocket than a manned craft would be, but still sad. Yeah. So, Rob, you did say they would try again. They will try again, yeah. Oh, well. Well, yeah, they're they're definitely going to keep trying. Um, yeah, I think the saddest part is probably uh, the HoloLens part. The fact the HoloLens is on it. But basically right, every cool person is now talking about this. Two HoloLens units. That's the real tragedy here. <laughs> You know, a, a rocket that they're trying to actually get to space and then back, you know, like, whatever. Like, it's, yeah. it's fine. It's fine. It's it's okay. But the yeah. hollow lenses. Oh, my. Damn, there were two of them. <laughs> Just imagine the opportunity cost there. How much yeah. joy could those hollow lens units have brought to the world? I know. Not our world. The outside world. <laughs> well, I think they're coming. They we're supposed to come back. Well, the idea was to deliver them to the ISS, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Is the ISS coming back to us at some point or will they clear out what's on the ISS before it? What is it going to do? Let's the ISS? Land in the ocean? Send it off into. The at the very beyond. end of its life. I think it might crash into the ocean, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. I think that happened it's... with mirror, didn't it? I thought Mir was still up there. I could be wrong. I don't think so. All right. Well, one of us will have to do live follow-up. Um, yeah, but basically every space person is now talking about this failure and, and about what went wrong and be looking forward to following up when we find out what went wrong and when we hear what when the next mission is going to be. Speaking of follow-up, real-time follow-up, Mir... <laughs> was a space station that operated in low Damn. Earth orbit from 1986 to 2001. Okay, you win. <laughs> I'm glad we both went to Wikipedia for that. We, uh, <laughs> you win one internet point. <laughs> well, you see, Rob, it's not a matter of winning and losing. It's just a matter of getting it right. I know, I know. And that's what we're committed um, to doing here on Future Chat. <laughs> yeah. For the most part. So now, my question is, <clears throat> what if somehow... Falcon had some sort of self-healing material Ooh, so that it could cool. just instantly fix itself. That's a if pretty good segue, was, Nick. If only there was a way. Are you talking about like after it explodes to like unexplode? No, if there was a crack developed. <laughs> I would assume that's what he's referring to. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm referring to. Just an ultra-fast robotic arm just grabs all the pieces and puts them back where they're supposed to be. <laughs> Oh, man, you're spoiling the plot of Iron Man 4. <laughs> um, no, I just wanted to, I saw this this pop up in my feeds uh, earlier this week. Nick the Nick is attempting to segue. He actually segued Craig quite gracefully into um, this article about, we talked last week about self-healing concrete. And I saw this article that seemed interesting about um, self-healing airplane wings. 
basically, ti- they embed tiny spheres of liquid into the airplane wing. And if the wing gets damaged, the spheres break, releasing the liquid, which would then harden uh, with catalysts and fill in the crack or whatever damage was done. Hmm. I don't think it, w- it would sort of be like the those run flat tires. It wouldn't be a long term solution, but it right. would at least let the plane or aircraft land and yeah, and fix the problem hmm. permanently. That's or cool. Like, I don't know if I don't know if I told you the fate of my tires recently. No, but while at pedal heads training, I the bead broke in them, and so um, the bees bead bees. <laughs> uh, it's happening right now. What do I want to say? B E A Delta. Please don't tell me you guys don't watch Arrested Development. Never mind. I watched Arrested Development, but I don't know what you're going. I don't for. remember that. that was, uh, <laughs> we'll talk about it later. So, anywho, um, I thought something was wrong with my brakes, but when I got home, I kind of looked at the tire to see what the problem was, and I could see the puncture-resistant layer had come to the surface. Oh. I went, oh my! Well, that needs replacing. Yeah. That's too bad. Um, yeah, so puncture resistance-ish. I've also seen uh, stuff like this proposed for um, that thing that I'm looking at. It's my phone. Smartphone screens. Yeah. Um, I've seen proposals like that for this, or like this for right. that. Yeah, but it's it seems like a good idea because having done some NDT classes, I can tell you that uh, airplane wings are extremely vulnerable to fatigue cracking, and those are right. cracks that can develop yeah. without being obvious at all. Well, the difference being with the self healing concrete is that the airplanes would actually go under regular maintenance, so you don't need that permanent solution. You just you t- tied it over till it lands and it can get inspected again. Whereas right. with the concrete, you're not going to necessarily go and regularly, you know, replace concrete if you don't have to until you start seeing actual signs of, of failure. So, yeah. And I mean, depending on the application, you might just not need to. With which? Right. With the concrete? Concrete. Yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah. if, if you can have the self healing one, then all the more benefit. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick, you want to talk a bit about, I guess, a, a, one of our top scientists? Uh, Canada Research Chair, Dr. Rob Brownstone, who was a neuroscientist. He's gone. What happened? He is leaving, he's leaving Halifax for England because we don't have proper scientific funding in this country anymore. Shocker, by the way. And... Yeah. I mean, for the record, like for a long time, it kind of worked the opposite way. People would come from all over Europe to Canada because of our pure research environment. And so if you want a picture of tangible losses, like this is intellectual capital that's just like, yep, nope, not doing this anymore. Bye. Mm. And that's. I mean, you can try, but if you've got like one of the world's top minds in said field, that's a hole you can't necessarily fill. You can patch it, but he's gone. He may not come back, and 
I think that's sad. There's no self-healing scientific community in Canada. No, there isn't. No. Um, and in related follow-up, um, we've talked a lot about federal science funding on this podcast. We have quite a bit. And for a long time, this and my blog, Vodkin Equations, has been my only kind of productive outlet for that sort of thing. But this week, I met with uh, the MP candidate for Calgary Centre to talk to him about uh, federal science funding. Gentleman by the name of Kent Hare, he's between 70 and 80% likely to take the riding, according to 308.com. And uh, it was a very good discussion. You know, I met with Kent for coffee because he's got a lot of time for coffee, apparently, <laughs> with potential con- constituents. Yeah. Yeah, I told him, like, what had happened with, you know, funding, like, you know, uh, what is it? You know, we've got, like, the CFI, Canadian Fund for Innovation, where you can buy big new shiny scientific equipment. But... Yeah we don't have like operational budgets to actually use the equipment. Right. And things like, you know, the beginning site, the beginning, the beginning discovery grant, it was $20,000 20 years ago. And it is still $20,000. Yeah. So it's hard to, it's hard starting out to, you know, get a lab monkey to work on your projects for you. Yeah. That does nothing. Because inflation is actually a thing. Yeah. And I remember um, I remember talking to my fellow grad students about that at Western. And, like, they were talking about, you know, grad student salaries and how, you know, they are good, but you do have to pay tuition, and that's a real expense. And one of the profs had said to them, well, you know, when I was going to Western, like, we had the same salary. They're like, that's a point <laughs> that was 15, 20 years ago. And there's this thing called inflation. Yeah. And I mean, tuition has gone up yeah. a lot in that time too. Yeah. Way opace inflation. Yeah. 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 But I mean, the positive here is that if you sit down with a lot of people that aren't just backbenchers and you actually explain the problem to them, they're like, Oh, yeah, that is a problem. We should really do something about that. Yeah, it makes you wonder why you can't sit with, or someone who has more clout can't sit with people who actually are in charge of making the decision. I, would you call them front benchers? Is that a thing? Uh, you'd probably Let's, call them like cabinet ministers. Yeah, I was going to say. Okay, that's probably enough. what they are. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I wanted to talk to him about it because he is currently the lone progressive candidate who has actually declared candidacy in Calgary Center. The other candidate is the conservative candidate, Joan Crockett, who has happily voted along with everything Harper has put forward. Mm. Um, but like I said to him, like I want, I want to make sure that, A, if you talk to progressive scientists, you know what they're upset about. And B, uh, I mean... It almost seems intuitive, the drive for industrial applied research 
to take, you know, some of the quote unquote burden of funding off the government's hands. But I wanted to make sure that it had been, you know, properly explained that like, yeah, that is a way to look at it. But if you look at it long term and you properly fund the NRC, it can make you money. Right. Like it'll end up taking in more revenue in spinoffs, patents, that kind of thing than you put into it originally. Yeah. So you don't you don't have to view it as a cost. Yeah. It's an investment. You can view it as uh, yeah. View it as an investment. Mm. yeah i was happy because productive outlet and seemed receptive receptive asked me good qualifying questions asked me to go over things a couple more times just to make sure he got it and asked for my notes at the end that's and cool. asked so, you to go away <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> basically he no he did sit down he was actually very busy that day he's uh part of a fundraising drive so he's just constantly on the phones talking to people yeah so but he took the time out of a apparently busy day to talk to me and then you know really tried to make sure he understood and then took took my notes with him at the end just so he could reference it later and so cool it made me happy that's awesome science right sure Hmm. way to go nick driving forward science policy in canada Thanks. If only, if only I had a future chat card that I could have given him. Just be like, <laughs> if listen, only. <laughs> you want to know what to think about everything? We're weekly. We'll get there at one point. Just tune in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, in that case, let's move on to our main topics of the show. And the first one, which, which I have brought in physical form with me today, is Soylent. Because I have one week supply and I've been writing about it and trying it uh, throughout the week. I have one week supply and uh, I haven't actually tasted it while being on camera. So I don't know. Do you guys have any any questions that you haven't already had answered this week about it? Or should I just talk about what I think so far? Well, I think I think the first thing I'd like to note is that Rob is in fact alive. I'm very much alive. You can. It's an effective meal like it's not really a meal replacement kind of thing it's just a everything replacement it's a meal yeah. alternative i like to call yeah. it yeah that is that's excellent it's a yeah. food alternative food really. alternative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but it is food right it's an alternative food to normal form. food yeah yes yeah so i'll ask a question have you yeah. this week added anything to it to modify the flavor or consistency not so far, because I don't find it bad. I might consider adding something like peanut butter or um, I don't know if I would add chocolate sauce. That seems like it kind of defeats the purpose. Um, you know, you should, you know, what might be good is uh, buy a pack of frozen wild blueberries. Yeah. Just add a few, a few of those and blend it up. That could be. That tasty. would be. Yeah. I, I, think I don't know. I've noticed. Yeah, but I've noticed before that blueberries in particular lend a lot of flavor, especially the wild ones. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, now, I'm going to bring this up because apparently you have had a lot of commentary on this topic, but um, let's let's think of a poop segue here. <laughs> how, are, how are you doing in the washroom, The Rob? second poop segue. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is like third or fourth at this point. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, fine. There is a bunch of insoluble fiber in Good. Soylent and uh, unaffected. So what we're saying is that Rob is still pooping. Very regularly, yes. That's good. Well, I know I'll sleep easy tonight. <laughs> I haven't gone through a day with only Soylent yet, but I, I have no problem thinking that I could. Well, it is soy-based. It's not soy-based at all, in fact. No? Why would no. it be soy-based? I thought that was the whole point, because no, that's the why they green. called it soy. No. Oh. Named after Soylent Green. So well, uh, I learned something today. I thought that's where the protein came from. <laughs> no, there is a few grams of soy lecithin, but uh, no, it's that's an emulsifier. I think. Soylent. Sorry, is that yeah. an emulsifier? Something like that. Hmm. But definitely, yeah. It it is not. Uh, there's a bunch of. I'll put a link to the FAQ on Soylent.com, but they have a bunch of articles showing uh, where this stuff comes from and what's in it in what quantities but there's very little soy um the carbs come from apparently things that don't spike your blood sugar there there are sugars in there carbs in there that don't do that mm. uh it is mostly complex carbohydrates i yeah. believe you're referring to mostly canola oil powder uh isomaltulose and potato starch there's some oat flour and rice starch yeah. Is is the idea that it has a f- relatively low glycemic index? Yeah, exactly. So I haven't had any sugar crash or anything, cool. which is one of the things that was the, one of the early ones, one of the early formulations did have that problem, but they've since yeah. uh, fixed it. No, I read a comment of yours regarding the sucralose content. Yeah. It does have sucralose in it. It has a bit of sucralose, sucralose, yeah. Okay. I don't really like the taste of sucralose. If if they got rid of it, I would be completely fine. Uh, there is less than 30 milligrams of sucralose per... I don't know if it's per bag or per... Uh, I would assume it's per bag. So it's very little. It's, they say it's to mask the flavor, but I would much rather just have it without sucralose i don't really like the taste of and the way it sort of stays in your mouth how much sucralose is in there i just said <laughs> sorry like 30 milligram quantities sorry oh. oh that's like nothing in i know it's serving? like nothing but you can taste it, it. so hmm. it's it's mass the flavor so they're replacing nasty flavor with sucralose flavor there <clears throat> the vitamin flavor it doesn't taste bad by any stretch like there's there's no bad flavor it's masking it's just like a, okay. maybe a more vitamin-y flavor that it's masking. Because I'd like to think if you added some honey, that could yeah. probably cover up the sucralose flavor even. Yeah. It's definitely possible. Yeah. And I was poking around on the Soylent website. Um, they do have a DIY section. They do, yeah. Where people can make their own formulations. Yep. Maybe that's something you could do, Mike. Like of like custom vitamin combinations? No, like uh, just custom Soylent recipes. Oh, recipes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you can just buy all the powders yourself, mix them together, and then you've got a Soylent replacement. 
which is neat that they're like, oh, yeah, we totally support you guys doing this. In fact, let's just put it on our own website. Yeah. But you couldn't come up with a sucralose-free combination, could you? You couldn't. Like, I couldn't take the sucralose out. Right. But uh, but you could make it yourself and just not put sucralose in. Yeah, you could. But that'd be weird. That would take that would not it would be weird. It would take a lot of effort. I was going like, to say so much stranger than you know cooking. <laughs> it would take sourcing your own ingredients, and I, that would probably be a lot more which effort. They've than already worth. done for you. You'd, yeah, you'd, 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 you'd like have to go to a grocery store, Nick. Come on, like that's just no, no. These are like these are all Amazon orders. <laughs> <laughs> it, you can still get it shipped to your door. You just have to mix it. <laughs> I can't, Kate, I can't imagine ordering all of these different ingredients from Amazon. That would be so expensive. Amazon Prime, Rob. Come on. I'm not talking about the shipping cost. I'm talking about the fact that you're sourcing materials and you'd not be getting them in big enough quantities to get a bulk discount check, like Soylent clearly Check it is. out, though. Like they, they ha- well, I mean, Soylent gets the bulk discount, but they also have to turn a profit. Yeah, but I'm saying... So, like, they, uh, they give you... They give you the cost per serving, and it's competitive with Soylent. Who does? The recipes. For, for each ingredient? If yes. you buy them separately from Amazon? Yes. You get the total cost, how many servings it'll make you, and then the total cost per serving. That seems, that seems ridiculous. I am going to go check this out in more detail. It's exactly the same thing that Soylent does. Why is it ridiculous? It, it sounds ridiculous. But I'm I'm gonna look into it. It sounds ridiculous because I haven't looked into it yet. Making your own powder <laughs> formulation? Why that's just perfectly preposterous. I, <laughs> I won't I won't believe it. <laughs> A no. company doing it for me, well that's entirely plausible. But good gracious. <laughs> yep. Nick, I live for your voices. <laughs> was it the incredulous Englishman? Yep. Actually, yeah, I'm not sure I use that one regularly. No, but yeah, <laughs> the incredulous Englishman. Yep. Uh, so, Nick, uh, do you have any other questions Rob. about Soylent, or are you just going to continue to be incredulous? I, I think you're the incredulous. incredulous. One. No, I mean you were you were the incredulous Englishman. Oh no, um, I don't know. Like, basically, my question is: Do you feel all right? Yeah, I, I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm getting more vitamins and nutrients than I would otherwise because there's no way that the food that I'm eating, because I don't, I don't have a hugely varied diet. I like to stick to my my own staple foods, even if they're not necessarily junk food. I probably don't get all of the vitamins and stuff that you're supposed to get, or that a healthy person would get. And so having that in, if even if I have one meal of it a day, at least I'm getting some of all of these nutrients. Like, may, I doubt I eat manganese on a daily basis by accident. I'd like to see just fall over and like a chunk of manganese pops in your mouth. Like, <laughs> oh no! Yeah, I'd I'd like to see a blind study done on people who regularly drink Soylent. So then. Yeah. That, you know, cool. one week is like a placebo, or a month yeah. is a placebo, and then see if they're like ah, a placebo I feel that like isn't food or no, just that doesn't have all the vitamins in it. Yeah, like oh. whey protein powder or something. Well, without modifying the flavor too much, because they'd be able mm-hmm. to tell. That's true. That's true. I was gonna say, you know, whey protein is kind of dramatic. 
<laughs> I I was using it while I was doing hip rehab because you know they it was actually a nurse that recommended it to me. They're like, just by the way, you're going to be putting on a lot of muscle, so maybe buy some protein powder. Yeah, and basically, I'll tell you that you'd notice a okay. certain intake of whey protein. Fair enough. Well, Rob, you've had the protein jugo juice shakes before. You know what it tastes like. I've maybe had them once or twice, but it's not no. dramatically different from it. Yeah, it is. It's really not. The taste wise? Yes. No. I'm going to strongly disagree on that one. It's not, maybe not identical, but it's been so long that I've had it. It doesn't stick out in my mind in the slightest. Okay. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. You should try it. I, I've had it. I have it. I have a, a tub of it downstairs and oh. it's not doesn't well, dramatically alter shake. the taste add some to your shakes if you notice i've i've added some and it doesn't like there's <laughs> there is protein in this there's 20 grams of protein per serving okay so that might be whey protein already then it very well could be yep. i could almost look it up almost right now <laughs> is nick frozen or just staring at us He's just staring. I can see his eyes moving. <laughs> I'm, I'm just reading. <laughs> this is the podcast where we read. <laughs> I don't know. It's just all of a sudden I was like, well, this dialogue is useless. I wonder what the internet has to say. <laughs> it's, uh, so it's brown rice protein and oat flour is where the protein comes from. Rice protein? Brown rice protein, yes. Does rice have protein? Apparently yep. it does. Not whole protein, but has a bunch of yes. essential and non-essential amino acids. Yeah, you need that's one of the like you need to pair a a grain with a nut or legume to get right. whole protein. Okay, that's fair. All right, uh, if you guys have nothing else to say on Soylent, I think we can move on. Uh, Mike, I you think have a story. We can move on to. Yeah, you have a story here about uh, TV versus online television watching. Yeah, so I guess there's a story that I came across, and maybe it was made out to be a bigger deal than, than it really is. And it actually sounded more like that's kind of where networks are going anyway. But I guess some networks have gone, the US TV networks have gone on the record saying that if uh, if Canada goes through with the debundling TV channels like cable TV channels because that's been an issue as of late that companies like TELUS and Shaw and what have you will sell you your channels but say if you just want like the Discovery Channel you also need to buy you know five or six other channels with it kind of thing right so in, in packages so mm-hmm. instead of spending like five bucks on the one you have to spend 20 bucks on the package when you only are really interested in the one so there's going to be coming up with new regulations that will tell cable companies that they're not allowed to do that anymore. They need to offer flexibility in your TV channel uh, selection and us TV networks. They depend on this and well, Canadian ones do as well, but us ones specifically because of their, the large number of, uh, of people they're trying to reach that a channel say like HBO, they need to be bundled with 
another channel that other people want in order for people to discover it, or at least that's what they that's what they feel. And they're saying that if Canada goes through with a uh, deep bundling, then they're just going to pull out of Canada altogether and mm. not offer their channels with the cable companies up here and only offer it uh, online uh, or over the top as the, the term in the industry is, I guess. Uh, so services like Netflix or just other online streaming options, uh, those are considered over the top because they kind of skip over the cable provider middleman, so to speak. Um, so it comes directly from the content creator to the uh, to the public. Um, so honestly, I think that's the way to go anyway. I've, yeah. I've been a long support, long time supporter of cable cutting. So I the, the more online content and availability that that we see, I think the better because that's where people want it anyway. So I don't know, like I think this is just kind of a a forewarning of what it's going to look like anyway, regardless of what regulations are, are going to come into play. Yeah. And I mean, in Canada anyway, the telecoms will make their money because they're usually the ones selling internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. TV's kind of their, Oh, well you can get internet cheaper if you also buy TV. It's, it's TV. Isn't their selling their, you know, baby kind of prize product. It's well, not for people our age. Yeah. True. But people are moving increasingly online. I, yeah, they're used to have. They used to just ha- be able to sell TV services and maybe phone services if they offered that. And then they started being able, to, be able to, being able to sell internet services, and they were like, "Hey, look at that! Two revenue streams. This is perfect." But that not really considering, I guess, that one was going to kind of merge into the other, and not you wouldn't have these two existing services that do the same thing side by side. And so yeah. they're kind of thinking, oh, no, we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out on the second revenue stream that we had. Um, but I don't think that it was ever really a viable endpoint for for entertainment services, was having both the internet and TV existing yeah. side by side, offering the exact same content. Yeah. When with digital cable, they're literally coming from the same place. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And we've talked about that before, how you're, you're, you're essentially getting the same product, but they're billing it differently and selling it differently, which makes no sense from yeah. like a data cap perspective and any of that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah. what difference does it make? It's coming through the same fiber mm-hmm. optic wire. Yeah, yeah, it makes no sense. But. And I mean, oh man, that would be so great. Because I mean, in terms of bundles, the reason I have not had like, NHL network or whatever on cable was because that that bundle was just ridiculous. Yeah. Like I remember looking into it in Ottawa because I was like, oh, you know, I watch a lot of hockey. Maybe it'd be worth getting the package for it. But it was just obscene. Yeah. Like you needed the sports package with just a ton of sports that I do not care about at all. Yeah. <laughs> So I think they're coming at it from an American perspective where it's like, well, hockey, geez, you may as well bundle that with lacrosse and bowling. <laughs> just put it together with all the sports nobody cares yeah. about. Yeah. Which do, is unfortunate. Do you guys agree with the the idea that this US TV networks are, are taking that people still discover content just by flipping through channels and choosing to watch something for five minutes? Yes. You you uh, you agree that that is how people still discover shows? 
for them uh, for a lot of people well maybe not discover shows but it's certainly how they watch them like it's not Depends. how i do it but that's definitely how julia watches tv so i'll describe the way i watch cable tv if i ever happen to be watching it somewhere mm-hmm. is i'll pull up the digital guide i'll just start scrolling through the channels and if something i recognize catches my eye then i'm like oh i'll watch that yeah but i'm not i'm not like gonna stop on a random show and be like oh that sounds interesting or that's a random show i've never heard of let's try watching that for a bit right i'm not flipping through the channels waiting for something to catch my eye and just watch it for a bit right you're not flipping through channels you're flipping through the guide right yeah because i i remember when we had basic cable like way back when i was a boy (laughs) i don't know like it was easy to flip through because you only had like 30 options or so yeah and so you just and 30 i had five (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well they did have a channel where well listen i lived in ontario <laughs> oh yeah ontario deal. you guys get a lot more yeah um <laughs> but uh so i mean you could flick through not very it wouldn't take you very long to see what was on and they did have a preview channel that scrolled through on its own but took yeah. forever to see anything oh man so it's like you may as well but yeah like in the era of digital cable, when you have hundreds of options, like I can't fathom channel surfing. That just seems no. like a ludicrous waste of time to me. Yeah. Well, it's as big a waste of time as waiting for your one channel you wanted to see on that flipping TV guide <laughs> and then yeah. flipping away for 30 seconds, yeah. coming back and seeing you've just missed it again. <laughs> but if you, if you hit a channel and it's a commercial, then that doesn't do you any good. Exactly. You know what's on. So the guide yeah. at least tells you what's supposed to be on, even if That's it's true. not showing that second. It's true. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a matter of time before everything becomes sort of piecemeal. I don't, I don't think we're going to save any money by this happening because they'll just start charging more for internet, internet yeah. and uh, the bundled TV packages. But I think it'll be sort of a piecemeal. You can watch everything on demand. Things will come out on a similar sort of weekly schedule. Like it's basically the way I've been consuming uh content from the comedy network comedy yeah. network yeah the can- canadian one yeah like when a new episode yeah. of amy schumer comes out i go to the comedy network comedy network.ca and i watch amy schumer yeah when the daily same thing with the daily show like I, that's just how i watch that's the only tv broadcast tv i watch anymore and i just watch it through yeah a website whenever yeah. i want i was gonna say like if that came to mind like if i if i want to watch a network show say like survivor i'll just go to global ca and they have all the episodes on there and then when a new one comes out it takes like three days before it becomes available but you can still watch it and it's all shown on their on their site so cable channels like tv tv networks are already doing this they're already offering that content on their own site um but i guess these u.s networks who have like you know the hbo's and you know food food network and that kind of stuff they'll just start exclusively doing that if they take get rid of this bundling i guess which to me makes no difference because yeah and i think people prefer the convenience to be able to just go on the site and pick an episode and a show versus hoping that it's on at that time or setting the dvr to record it and and saving it that way so yeah absolutely yeah uh, no sorry uh before we move on yeah. mike was that just an example or are you still watching survivor I've we tried watching Survivor a couple a year ago I think and I'm like this this isn't even the same so mm-hmm. 
What changed, man? What changed? I know, right? <laughs> I watched I watched Survivor season two. I remember. All Australia. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I watched a few when I was in my teens, and then I just what ruined it for me was I noticed that you could tell who was about to get voted out because they changed the music. <laughs> and hmm. I was like, "Well, thanks for ruining the surprise." Yeah, these days Is that they what you tune in for the surprise. <laughs> I don't know. I just got frustrated with it and stopped watching. Okay. These days they have their writers script the show in a way or edit it in a way that about ten minutes in you know who's going to get voted out because. They, they cut it and put it together in a way that the story kind of tells itself. And you're like, I know where this is mm. going. And usually it does. But sometimes ah, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Modern reality yeah. TV. Yeah, that's true. Wow. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, so, Nick, you have a story here about beer, which I am always open to hearing about. Specifically unraveling the secrets of beer. Uh, what's his name? Dr. Jonathan Van Ham, working with Red Collar Brewing owner David Beardsell. Awesome name. Which is an awesome name. Yeah. To sequence the genomes of a variety of yeast strains in order to create unique beer recipes. Hmm. Yeah. Dr. Van Ham was awarded two Engage grants from the Natural, Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council. Yeah, he was. Did you work on those, Rob? I did not. I'm in corporate planning, not <laughs> grant giving. Oh, nice. Yeah. But I mean, I, I have very little to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> talk about in this. He's in genomics, I think. So looking at, you know, genomes of things and systems and something, I don't really understand genomics. Um, but I don't know. I just think that's super neat. No, no. I, let, let me clear one thing up here we're talking yeah. about modifying beer using the genomes right so <gasps> oh my god i I'm, i might be you you can probably fill in the blanks here but is, is this what we're talking about here or are we talking about are modifying the genome of beer <laughs> it's modifying the genome of the yeast yeah okay which is often filtered out before it gets to you. Hopefully, oh, in most cases, I, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> I, I I don't want to I don't want to say the three letters that that we're all fearing right now, but you don't have to. L U V. Because we all love beer so much. You know what they uh, they buried the lead in this article. Um, people who are are listening can go and find this. Uh, a link to this unraveling the secrets of beer. Um, this Do Dr. Van Ham, the guy who has this research, uh, offers a popular fourth year course on brewing microbiology, which just sounds like the greatest university course ever. Hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. I would take that course, well, Nick. I, I hope why, you would why, also why is this a me. course now and not when I was looking at universities? <laughs> <sighs> yeah oh but yeah um so he's trying to create a cost-effective way for the owner to grow his own fresh yeast yeah i guess and rather than having to buy it because you pay a lot of money for 
yeast. Yeah. Just because like you could keep it and reuse it. But as Mike and I learned on our tour of Big Rock, you can't do that because the yeast evolve and then they don't do the same the exact same thing anymore. And you want And then you're not getting Yeah, you're not getting a consistent brew anymore. So you have to buy that exact kind of yeast. Mm. And even with my home brewing experiments, like the recipes called for very specific versions of yeast. Right. Safale or S A F A L E S04 and S05 mm. were the ones I used. S04 was great. It worked really fast. So in your experience, like it does make quite a difference to modify the type of yeast you're using. I was actually shocked at the difference it made. Mm. Like even S04 worked just ridiculously quickly. Like I'm glad I left my fermenter in the shower. Right. Because it it just started fermenting so quickly that it uh blew through the airlock and just made an awful mess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I cleaned it up obviously, but you know, um, delicious, delicious cleanup. And it, it had, it was left with such a nice fruity flavor afterwards. Like yeah. it had those fruity notes to it just, and mm. that was entirely from the yeast. Oh. Whereas S zero five was, Oh, S04 also like cleaned up after itself really nicely. When I went to bottle, just all the yeast was in a big cake at the bottom. Nice. Like it just compacted itself and was like, yep, you, you just skim the beer right off the top, man. We're done. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Good teamwork. <laughs> but S05 was, one, it was slower. It didn't clean up after itself as nicely, and there weren't really the, the fruity notes afterwards they're also entirely different styles of beer so i mean right that's fine because different yeasts for different flavors but i was i was really surprised at how different they were Hmm. i i like this uh this research project because they're trying to it it points out in in this story that they spend ten thousand dollars a year on yeast which just seems seems so excessive so i (laughs) i completely understand why they would want to to grow their own if you're buying yeah. that much. Yeah. It, it sounds like this is also an investment play. If they can get a method of. Yeah. Of, uh, of, of modifying the yeast and being able to customize what type you're using and kind of sell it off as a patented yeah. technology. As we've talked about many times, uh, NSERC and the Canadian government in general uh, is aiming more towards monetizing and um having turning good research into successful business enterprise so that does not surprise me in the slightest yeah that's the end goal anything else on the story nick sure is neat (laughs) uh so mike next up you wanted to call the segment mobile corner (laughs) it's it's a yeah it's a pseudo mobile corner i haven't had one of these in a while but no so a couple of the stories I I found this week are all kind of semi-related in a you know mobile cell phone network sense. Um, so I guess first off, for those that uh, that aren't savvy with the Canadian, uh, uh, I guess cell phone provider, mobile provider, goings-ons, that Mobilicity 
our our well loved little guy up here just got purchased by yeah. Rogers. And uh, I guess Rogers and Telus were both bidding, or Rogers and Bell. I don't. Is it Rogers, Telus, or Rogers and Bell? I think it was Telus. Yeah. Them. And uh, Mobilisi picked Rogers for for the sale. And uh, as a part of the deal, uh, Rogers is going to have to give up some of its spectrum, and is going over to Win Mobile. So Nick, your your uh, distaste for Win Mobile may be alleviated a little bit with with this it's- because. I was honestly, I was such a big supporter philosophically of wind. I was so happy to be a wind customer. It's just, it was useless. Yeah, it was useless. It is a lot less useless now. Yeah. Like I'm actually, I'm considering depending on how this plays out because wind apparently is working on an LTE band. Yeah. So I I think with this, they have enough spectrum to kind of get that started. So I don't know how what if they're going to get infrastructure too, like towers for for better coverage. But from a spectrum perspective, they'll have have a better position, and then it'd just be a matter of putting up towers to to get more coverage where where people want it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Mobilisti, uh, there were rumors of them looking to become an MVNO. I think is what they call it. MNVO. MNVO. MVNO or MNVO, mobile network. Maybe MN virtual yeah. or something or other but basically how fido is basically rogers but fido operates on its own brand and yeah and kind of operations yeah um, well the three big telecoms now all have yeah. you know discount brands associated with yeah. them yeah yeah what's what's the, the bell one dumbest thing uh Bell is Virgin. It used to oh, be Solo, right. yeah. and then they bought Virgin and cannibalized Solo. Yeah, gotcha. Um, okay, so yeah, so there you go. So that's that was in the news this week, and uh, so I guess those on Mobilicity, they, I, Mobilicity wasn't super great to begin with. I don't think it, from what I've heard, it was so. pretty cheap. It was affordable, yeah. and the people that I knew that were on it liked it. But it was one of those sort of you could only be in certain places, and yeah. it wouldn't work great roaming and it would be really expensive yeah. so yeah but if now they're going to be on the rogers network then that will probably be better but their plan price will their be plan will probably well. change yeah. drastically yeah um yes so yeah so that was the news this week I, I don't know i don't have much else to say on it but i guess it'll be interesting to see where wind fits into this because you almost have the big three and then wind is close to being a 3a a little yeah. bit if we not, uh number four for sure yeah we talked a bit on uh, again the unreleased episode of East Meets West that we keep teasing about the political implications of of this change, uh, the Minister of Industry that that did a bunch of this stuff, uh, James Moore is now leaving. He's not running for a new term this fall, and so we were talking about how it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening. Um, one of the th- big things that they were trying to do is break up the big companies, and now this. <laughs> Yeah, the big company is sucking up another little company. So yeah, not great. Yeah, on I guess to as a segue into that, you have the uh, the Manitoba. I don't know if it's. I don't think it's a government company. I think it's just no, a no, Manitoba no, yeah. specific company. But MTS has come out with a the dream plan. I guess we'll call it is a is <laughs> absolutely a, is an internet da- data plan. So I. Th- from what I read and how it sounds, is both 
wired internet, like at home, as well as mobile internet. Yeah. All wrapped into the same monthly price for $65 a month. And then you can yeah. you can add in up to four more family members at twenty five bucks a month each. Yeah, and it's how. Sorry, go ahead. It's I think it's fairly unlimited, if not completely it is, unlimited. Yeah, unlimited. Yeah, unlimited access to Wi Fi hotspots, uh, tethering as well. Um, as yeah, as far as the data caps and that kind of stuff, I haven't looked into. I don't even know if there's details at this point, but. It's it's kind of it's the plan that I think at least the three of us want at least absolutely I Bob and I want I don't I don't know about you Nick how much you use voice calling and that kind of stuff but I know for me and the apps that I have on my phone I I could be completely dependent on data and not have to use the the voice network at all yeah yeah I use I use the voice network occasionally to call home but yeah but even with that you you can use the Google dialer like the Hangouts dialer to voice over LTE yeah. So. Oh, that's it's interesting <laughs> that we are looking to Manitoba as the leader yeah. in this area because how often do we look to Manitoba <laughs> well, as so the the Canada wide leader in anything? Yeah, Manitoba's Manitoba, got like one city, <laughs> other than like mosquitoes. Hey, now Ch- Churchill is a city, is it? Yeah. It's got polar yeah, there's bears, a I guess. very there is a very real risk that you will be eaten by polar bears, but it is a city. <laughs> like seriously, you're, there's a law you're not allowed to lock your doors when you park your car anywhere in Churchill because people might need to escape a polar bear, <laughs> and so you have to leave. <laughs> you have to leave your doors unlocked. You get fined if you lock your door. It's that's yeah. funny. This is a city in Canada. Um, guys, so the reason Rob. that MTS internet is cheap and affordable and the reason similarly in Saskatchewan that SaskTel uh, has cheap, affordable internet is because those provinces had those companies that built a bunch of infrastructure in the nascent years of mobile networks and are now reaping the benefits of that. So as we've talked about in past episodes, I think very early on in the show, uh, they Rogers, Bell, and Telus have different plans in Manitoba and Saskatchewan than they do elsewhere in Canada that are a lot cheaper and competitive with these kinds of plans, specifically because there are alternative mobile networks options in those provinces where the rest of Canada doesn't have that. They just have spectrum that Rogers has either built or bought uh, or Bell or Telus, and uh, that's that is the reason why it's so cheap there because they got in on the ground floor basically when everyone else was building uh building towers and getting service across the province and that is as a customer that's super annoying to me because i know that it could be that cheap and this, like mts is apparently the fourth fourth biggest telecom company so after the big 3 it's the next biggest one hmm. i just want to move i don't want to move to manitoba necessarily but i want to get well, who wants address. to move to Manitoba? <laughs> Are we familiar with the song One Great City by the Weaker Thans? We're not. Okay, so homework. One Great City by the Weaker Thans? Because that's hilarious. 
brief anecdote, a friend of mine got, she was in the States for a while and moved back and had to buy a cell phone. And they're like, oh, so what do you want your area code to be? She's like, can I have a Nunavut area code? <laughs> and they were like, hold on, let's check it out. Click, 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 click. Like, oh, no, there's actually no so- cell service in Nunavut, so they don't have a, an area code. It's like, oh, um, how about Saskatchewan? Apparently, my family goes back to Saskatchewan because it, she was buying a Canada-wide plan, yeah. so it didn't really matter. And now she has just a ridiculous data plan because she got a Saskatchewan area code. Yeah. Just off the top of her head. That's the dream. Right? And she yeah. didn't even know it going in. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really annoying, and I hope that we can get something like this competitive across um, across Canada. I know Videotron, which is in Quebec right now, has been working on expanding outside of Quebec. So I, I really hope that that takes hold and that we can start to see this kind of thing. Because it is going to be not only this uh, MTS plan, not only is it unlimited wireless data on your phone and internet access at home, but it lets you tether included in the plan and they also have a network of wi-fi hotspots in manitoba that you can use that that's what i want mm-hmm. not just for an ipad but for a phone condoned usage yeah. unlimited it's like a, so good there's like a song there data <laughs> that's what i want <laughs> <laughs> yep uh, so Mike, you want to round out mobile corner? I do. So our, our last, our last, uh, mobile corner item today is, I guess, an update on our net neutrality, uh, block watch, so to speak. Um, I didn't even realize this was, this was a thing, but apparently there's a review being done and tomorrow is, or the 30th, I think is the last day to submit, uh, appeals to, from the companies, I guess, for this. But they're reviewing the classification of uh, the mobile networks as utilities, mm-hmm. essentially. I, they don't really use that verbiage in the summary, but that's essentially what they're doing. They're, they're looking to see how mobile networks are now essential services to, as they say, participate in the digital economy. Right. Um, Woo! So <laughs> We did it! Yeah. <laughs> Oh, like that's that's actually a really big deal, and yeah. I, I didn't even realize this I know. was going on in Canada. I know in the states uh, they were talking about doing it, and I think they've taken steps to start evaluating that that classification. But in Canada, there's actually a review process going on right now. So, right, stay tuned for that. And I think they're saying it's going to be wrapped up. It's a two part review that will be wrapped up in late 2015, early 2016. I think so. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Pretty excited. We'll all have to uh, provide feedback. You know, There's a lot. You say, put, oh, yeah. Sorry, you say, Mike, that you're really excited, but there was no cheering or clapping from you. I was talking. So <laughs> I, I, I was busy explaining. I'm glad you filled in for the clapping. Yeah. Whatever, Mike. Whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I'll put a link to this, but there's because there's a lot of re- reading material, but it seems very interesting and and useful for anyone who wants to know what's going on with the telecommunications industry 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll have to see how that shakes out over the next six to eight months. But cool. Should be good. Yeah. yeah. Hope so. Having the election right in that timeline is interesting. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Nick, so your next story here is about chocolate cake. So you have beer and chocolate cake in this sto- one story. So what's going on? Our This is our health section. Um, and as with many health-related papers, by all means, take it with a grain of salt. But this actually... Uh, support stuff I've read about a few years ago and it's just making its rounds on Facebook now. So I'm not sure if it's referring to the paper that I read from a few years ago or whether it's new, but they're saying chocolate cake with breakfast could help you lose weight because they did a study and they had one group that would have chocolate cake with breakfast and one group that wouldn't have chocolate cake with breakfast and the weight loss in the short term was the same or, you know, similar. But in the long term, the group that had chocolate cake with breakfast lost more weight and managed to keep it off. Um, and this there was also a study that I read about where you could have like you had the option of a cookie or a piece of pie or something like that with breakfast. And I mean, the argument being that. If you've just eaten breakfast, I mean, you're starting your day and you're going to like, that's about getting into the time when your metabolism is at its highest. Like, um, I think it's around like 11 o'clock to one o'clock that you're burning at peak efficiency. So, you know, they're saying, you know, over the course of the day, you will probably burn these calories. But the thing is if you're having that kind of stuff with breakfast, like this isn't to say like go out and eat sweets and that's going to help you lose weight. It's, I think the bigger takeaway from these studies is that what happens is if you eat it with breakfast, like if you're eating these things regularly and you get to the end of your dinner or something like that, maybe you've had a big meal and someone's like, Oh, do you want this slice of cake too? Or like this tart or whatever. And you're like, I'm fine. As opposed to, oh my God, I haven't had sugar in months. Mm. Yes, I will take all the cake, (laughs) all the cake right now. Yeah. I think it's more a psychological, well, he says knowing nothing at all about (laughs) this, but, uh, you know, I think it's probably more a psychological thing in that when you deprive yourself of something you actually want or enjoy, Probably not the best thing to do. The best thing to do is probably enjoy it in moderation so you don't binge on it later right. and screw up your diet. Yeah. This this looks like pretty bogus. <laughs> I think it's a very specific <laughs> study on obese people. So they're lo- losing weight is something that would be probably easier to start doing. Yeah. Um, I will point out also that this is from February 8th, 2012. So it is probably the one you saw originally. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm also wondering if it has anything to do with, uh, you know, just having a more robust breakfast might be helpful Mm -hmm. because they're getting that many more calories to start the day. So the thing is, is that their, their groups weren't even like 
comparable because one was a low carb, like they had a low carb diet, the one group, and the other had a balanced diet. The the chocolate cake part is to me is just to get headlines because there's there's no significance to the chocolate cake part. It's more just low carb diet versus balanced diet. But like a like a calorie a calorie managed balanced diet versus a low carb drastic diet. And to me that that's black and white. That's I don't need the chocolate cake part. And that's You're black and white. That that's not that's not a conclusion I would take from this study. It's like, oh well clearly chocolate cake helps in weight loss. That's ridiculous. All right, well, we'll go off and read the paper, and then we'll be sure. <laughs> I, I would have to think that I, uh, there's not a lot of detail in the actual article itself about the study, but I would have to assume they're eating the same amount of – they're supposed to eat the same amount of calories over the course of the day, and they were saying that the people who didn't have the cake for, for, for breakfast ended up cheating on their diets more later in the day. That was the conclusion that I drew from it. And that it was more psychological, like it was, yeah. And that this, this this is literally the real life version of that chocolate helps you lose weight story that we did that was actually designed to be bogus. Was that? Do you remember that? You don't say. What? Do, do you remember I said that? You don't say. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, it. this is like literally that exact same thing, but it looks more like intentionally misleading versus supposed to be bogus but i think there's something to this idea but whether or not this particular like i don't know if you guys have seen that um what is it there's a it's a thing showing different kinds of foods on a spec on like a graph showing numbers of studies saying that this is either bad for you neutral or good for you and there's like every food has studies on both sides like all across the spectrum no exactly yeah you can conclude whatever you want from any of these studies yeah yeah i I like the idea of nutrition and i think that talking about cravings which seems to be the main thing about this study is that it is it cravings are really important in how we manage our diets and so treating yourself to a little bit of cake in the morning could help you with a diet overall my issue is that low carb diets have been debunked and shown to be entirely ineffective for a long time. Specifically, low carb diets, yeah, yeah. And this is that—that's what it is—is is low carb versus balanced diet. Mm. So that should be the headline, not chocolate cake helps you lose weight. True, but is balanced diet helps you lose weight? But we're not reading that article. We're reading this article, <laughs> which is about chocolate cake. <laughs> and Nick is frozen. Maybe. I'm also <laughs> reading the article just again. Okay. Nick, you said you had to leave uh, at the end oh, of Oh, yeah. I basically, I'm past when I was supposed to leave. But I will talk to you later and wish you both a happy rest of the show. Okay. Enjoy your day, Nick. Cool. Do us See proud. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening, listeners. <laughs> uh, we've got one more story here in the main show. And it's not really a story so much as it is. Well, I guess it kind of is. Um, having to do with the validity of scientific studies and how we can approach solutions to academic research in general. So there is a a series being put out by Science, the publication Science this week. Um, 
discussing different problems with the scientific, not the scientific method per se, because that's just a sort of unassailable <laughs> theoretical concept, but how right. the scientific method and its results actually play out in the real world. Um, things like publication bias in that if you have a positive result going like, hey, look, this is flashy science and it's good and here it is written out. But then if something bad happens with your research, you just don't publish it. Like if, if you get a negative result, something you weren't expecting or weren't looking for, that you just don't publish it. And so we tend to get a bunch of stuff that has all these positive results. We don't hear about the negative stuff. Right. And there's also a serious lack of when we do peer review, where we kind of review the research that's been done, uh, look at the controls that were in place, that kind of thing. But we don't really ever make a lot of attempts to replicate results of studies unless something is demonstrated to be false about it, like uh, with Andrew Wakefield and the autism vaccines thing. Um, yeah, what do you what do you think about this? Did you look at this at all? No, I actually didn't. I saw the headline on it. I didn't click into it, but um, I guess to go on your second point there about the the replication yeah. or reproduction, I guess, it sounds like from my readings and seeing what things are trying to be reproduced, it's more game-changing discoveries like right. say with the like the cern stuff like once that's done then they're i guess internally they'd be trying to reproduce it like once they kind of nail down the numbers and that kind of stuff right um but then we did that story before on the uh on the social science the canvassing experiment right and the data set that was falsified and the reason it was discovered to be false was because someone tried to reproduce it or looked into even reproducing mm -hmm. it, and they're like, there's no way this is even possible to reproduce. Right. And so then that's where it kind of started throwing off red flags. Yeah. Um, so I think on that end, yeah, like unless you're making a groundbreaking discovery, you're not going to get those efforts to reproduce it because people wouldn't care to. And, the, and that is more dangerous because if it's a more minor result, it's only going to come up when someone's searching for, you know, existing data. And they'll just use that and cite it versus seeing that it had been reproduced other times. Um, and then the first point was, oh, about the, oh yeah, about the the bias, the publication bias. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, and I guess you see the negative results within a single paper saying, oh, we tried this, you know, 50 times and got you know, X, you know, non, non results and whatever. But as far as just experiments that didn't work out, yeah, you don't hear about that. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess you can take every result with a grain of salt. And I guess the res the result that you read says it happened at least once, but it's not a set in stone law that it happens every time, I guess. Right. Um, I don't know. As far as fixing science, I don't know. I think yeah, just more more transparency and and working together. I think. Yep. They're they're um, talking about incentives for researchers and the the whole publish or perish uh, mindset that a lot of researchers have, and trying to change that to because that that gets you basically having to think that every uh, piece of uh, research you publish has to be awesome and it has to happen every week or every month or like you have to mm -hmm. do it consistently and it always has to be good 
Whereas what we should do is incentivize researchers to publish good research, not necessarily good results, but sort of look at, analyze the research from a, from a sort of objective perspective of whether it's good research and not whether it achieved the result that they were trying to find. Yeah. Cause you can do a study, you can do a, a years long study. Like if you go and do a 30 year study on cell phones and radiation, and then come back and say, there's no link between cell phones and brain cancer. That's good science. It's really important that we know that, but yeah. that's not going to sell in newspapers. Yeah. You almost need, you need like a GitHub for scientific research. Yeah. Where, where you can like, even like within our company, like we, we do various investigations. Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't call it research per se, but it's at least within within our engineering group we'll do investigations either into data sets or actually doing kind of like measurement investigations that kind of thing and they're on their own they're not really worthy of publishing anything right like it's it's useful information but there it'd be nice if there's a place even if it was like i don't know i guess you'd set up a system where you post it initially maybe anonymously or non-identifying like say like an identification number or like an account number and say hey we did this research these are our numbers if anyone can do anything with it let us know or oh it's here for you guys to use and then there's like a like a citation process or uh some sort of system where if someone else uses that they credit you with contributing to the work but if they can take it further and do something with it then they release a paper and then you just say, oh, you know, acknowledge, you know, XYZ company for contributing their data set to this or for, mm -hmm. you know, consulting on prior work or that kind of thing. Right. So science moves forward, but without always needing like definitive, like positive results to publish a paper. Whereas you can just go and there's a bunch of data sets and experimental results that may or may not have resulted to anything, right. but is there to be used if someone wanted to. Mm hmm. So like you were saying, if someone, yeah, went and did like a cell phone study and they found, even if they just went and collected data yep. and didn't do any analysis on it, it's like, hey, I went and took a bunch of data from wherever and, you know, this is my scientific process or mm -hmm. methodology or whatever. But if someone can use, do something with it, then, then by all means go with it. But there isn't that openness and cooperation in science at this point. Right. And I think primarily just because there is a, a market value for research and patents and, and selling your technology, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, it, this makes me think of talking about sort of transparency and openness in science and just gathering data but without actually investigating what the results are. Um, well, I've had conversations recently about basic income and uh, the Manitoba study that they did with basic income back in the seventies. Um, what they did, they had federal funding for four years to give basic income to some people and to sort of get data on what the results were. But then there was no money to actually investigate the results. So they're basically boxes and boxes of results and data that sat there unlooked at for 30 or 40 years until right. some researcher stumbled on this idea and said, what, nobody looked at all of this data that we had. And then eventually they finally started looking at it and found all these really great indicators of 
good things about basic income that had just sort of been completely forgotten about. Right. Yeah. So it, it, I think it's a, it's a good idea. Something like GitHub where people can submit stuff and say, Hey, like almost like, Hey, fork this research and yeah, it in a different way or, or go off and do a study like yeah. the one that we did. Yeah. Or even say like, you know, I did this research before I go and publish something. I want someone to kind of do a semi peer review or, mm-hmm. or, or has anyone else looked at this as well? And can you confirm that your results are similar or that kind of stuff? Right. And again, like you, you want to, I don't know if it has to rely on like an honor system, but have some sort of process where people are still getting acknowledged for their contributions, yeah. even in that, that sense. Right. Mm-hmm. But for sure. Cool. Yeah, I I like I love science, obviously, but uh, there are a lot of problems with the academic community right now that I'm glad a publication as big as science is looking at ways to fix it and ways to work on what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're we, as I mentioned on Twitter earlier this week, we're doing something a little different on uh, Future Chat this week. We decided to stick to. It's actually kind of funny because this was an effort to kind of compact the show and we're still almost at uh, an hour and a half uh, getting through our main topics. But what we're trying to do is reduce the number of main topics in the show to to keep the main show shorter and then kind of end, end the official show and then discuss some of the more uh, some of the smaller stories that we'd come across over the course of the week. So why don't we uh, we'll end the main show now and then move to move to that section. Sounds good. So I'll say thanks for listening to this week's future chat. Um, once again, I'd like to thank audible.com for helping to support the show. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can head to audibletrial.com slash unwind. That's as in un- unwind media. Uh, that'll get you, uh, be able to start you off on a free 30 day trial, uh, as well as a free audiobook. And, uh, let you know we'll be back here next week with more science and tech talk. Uh, and you can find past episodes of the show and more at unwindmedia.com slash future chat. See you next time. See you, everyone. Bye. Okay. We got a number of things here that uh, would be interesting to talk about. Uh, first thing I guess I'll talk about is a story that I read almost immediately again after we ended last episode. Uh, the Looking at an RF microwave. Uh, so this, the idea is similar to, I don't know, have you watched 30 Rock, Mike? I've caught a couple episodes of it okay. in the past, yes. So right at the very, cheap, yeah, at the right? very beginning, yeah. they talk about a trivection oven using three kinds of heat to heat food really efficiently and quickly. And, uh, this is kind of an extension of that idea. <laughs> so rather than using microwave radiation like we do now, it uses, um, RF, so radio frequency, uh, in a different different range than current microwaves do, which it, it's unclear to me exactly how the science of it is different than microwaves, but it basically doesn't use uh, it, it doesn't use a magnetron, which generates um, electrons that are then converted into microwaves, but it uses a solid state radio frequency source that can it can use a bunch of different kinds of uh, uh electrical power to heat different foods in different ways at the same time and 
so you need a lot less actual power compared to a microwave and it also gives you first of all it gives you even cooking which is something that microwaves can't really do they can kind of simulate even cooking by rotating the table in the microwave mm-hmm. right but i just thought this was it's such a, a weird yet cool technology and something that i'm sort of really looking forward to seeing so it's there this company called freescale has put out this device that promises to basically cook entire meals like not just one dish but entire meals all at the same time and it is capable of baking, poaching, searing, browning, and crisping food rather than just something like a microwave where it basically just heats up the materials in the food individually. And it doesn't, it does things like making a lot of food that is kind of you want to be crispier. It ends up being soggy like pizza. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, I'm really interested in that they haven't actually released when the product's going to go on sale, but it, it's doing some testing, but it, it's really cool, and it does seem to me it looks to me like the future of of fast cooking it It's almost like the the idea sort of in the Jetsons where you pop like a pill into the microwave and suddenly you have a hamburger so really fast mm. cooking that's also efficient yeah, like it's it looks like it's all radio frequency like when I first read about it because i I think I saw. When you first added it to the to mm-hmm. our list of of topics, it it almost looked like it, it utilized infrared as well. Yeah, but it that doesn't look like that's the case. Yeah, and I know it. It seems a little vague, and I'd be want I'd be interested to see what is actually. Yeah, because yeah, from from my understanding of how microwaves work, it uses the the microwave radiation at whatever frequency to excite the water molecules yeah. that steam them and then it heats up the food. So in this case, it's saying it can target different parts of the food, which like it almost sounds like it's a directed wave, not just an all encompassing like standing wave that have to rotate the food through. Yeah. And then if you can tune the frequency to target different water content, parts so like if you want to crisp the skin that would have a lower water content and a higher fat content so you can tune the frequency to cook that part primarily versus the inside of the food i guess yeah like i don't i don't know how that how that would work so you'd have to kind of look at it a bit more i guess but yeah i don't know yeah i'd have to learn more about it but yeah if, if this can do all that types of cooking because that's the thing you, you put something in the microwave, like for pizza, a toaster oven does a much better job at reheating pizza. Right. But if you don't have a toaster oven, like, or you're not going to turn on your stove to like your oven to cook reheated pizza, but right. You're just kind of trading off the crispiness for like, yeah, just soggy hot pizza, I guess. Yeah. But if this can change that, then that'd be really cool. Yeah, exactly. So I'm interested to see what happens when this uh, when this gets to an actual product that's on sale, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah, it almost looks like a concept at this point. Yeah, like they called it. Their own page calls it a proof of concept. Yeah, 
seems like it's a real thing right now. Right. But I guess we'll see. Yeah. Once you start seeing it at Bed Bath & Beyond, then <laughs> you'll know what's hit the big time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, before we get to the next story, I just uh, they just started the press release or the press uh, event about Falcon 9. Okay. Apparently there's an overpressure. There was an overpressure event in a liquid oxygen tank that caused the failure. So um I don't I don't I have no real information about how the Falcon 9 works, but uh I'll I'll put a link to the actual the story that I'm reading here, but um yeah. Apparently it was an overpressurization of the oxygen tank. Very strange. And uh, obviously they're still analyzing it because it literally just happened and there's a lot of data to go through, but it's too bad. Yeah. Uh, what was the next thing you want to talk about, Mike? Uh, I saw the, I guess this is almost it's fairly major, I guess, or a big story about that California just approved a mandate to make vaccines mandatory. Oh yeah, I did hear about that. Uh, so apparently it's been the toughest mandatory vaccine law that's been passed at the state level. Mm-hmm. Um, so now unless you have a legitimate medical reason, like an allergy, right. you can't, you can't for as you can't refuse your vaccine for your child. Right. Um, if you do, then you have to homeschool your kid. Hmm. You can't, but you can't send them to school unvaccinated. That's great. So that's, yeah, that's really good news. And I don't know. I don't, I don't have a ton to say on it, but other than that's, that's good to see. And I don't know, like I'm, I'm all for, you know, freedom of choice and, and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you don't want to compromise people's health and, and safety. And you just, you hear so, too many stories of, of kids babies who aren't old enough to be vaccinated for something and and they die because they get that right because someone chose not to vaccinate their kids and to me one one is too many so right that's yeah that's a really great yeah um obviously people people have a really bad understanding of herd immunity too so people are really bad at accepting uh (laughs) that this is necessary um yeah I think the homeschooling thing is a good exception because it it would come off as very, even though it's medically very important and positive, it would come off as very bad if it was like, literally you have to get this vaccine no matter what. So they are giving people an alternative, but I feel like unless you want to homeschool your kids, this is, (laughs) nobody's going to want to do that. Nobody's going to want to go through having to homeschool your kids just to not have them have vaccines. Yeah. It would at least make them think, hmm, maybe I should look more into vaccines and then they'll discover, oh, all my <laughs> all my uh, paranoia is completely baseless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's it's, base, it's not even that it's baseless, but it's based on misinformation and fear. Yeah, exactly. From yeah. from the stuff that they're reading or watching or whatever. I don't honestly, I don't blame them for being scared of the things that they're reading because the things that they read and, and watch make them sound like devil juice and that is going to kill your yeah, child so. exactly so yeah. uh look forward to more of of that it, it, do you know if vaccines are mandatory in canada like in the in that same way 
for that, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but I know you still need to get parental consent if they're going to administer it at school. But as far as I know, there's no check to say if you're good, if you're coming here, you need to be vaccinated okay. kind of thing. Hmm. So interesting. All right. Yeah. Uh, the next story I have here is just a cool thing that I didn't realize uh, from NASA. So NASA, obviously they've retired the space shuttles. Uh, they're working on the next generation of manned spacecraft in the States through the NASA space program. But they are looking for input from from independent companies and willing to fund them quite a bit. And so the, the news that I read this week was about a process that apparently they they say is a lot like Shark Tank in that people mm-hmm. will come and pitch their designs, their ideas, and then if they if the NASA team likes the idea, they'll they'll give them more money to actually develop it into a presumably get, getting rocket technology, getting flight technology, all that stuff. It's obviously very mm-hmm. expensive. And basically what they're doing is trying to get a bunch of new blood into the spacecraft, like the space flight program in general, because everyone who is in NASA right now, they've, they've, they're working on this or they were, were working on the space shuttle. Now they're working on these new ideas, but they want to get as many good ideas as possible to try to figure out what's going to be the best long-term solution for, for the States and for, I guess, probably the world because they, these ideas aren't going to be, private ideas so anything mm-hmm. they can get is going to be helpful to any any space flight from earth yeah it's it's interesting that we're we're reading about this now and we talked about this, the hyperloop yeah. and how they're looking to to crowdfunding or crowdsourcing i should say uh their ideas and and concepts and stuff so it's it's good to see that that method of of scientific research is is being used in in more ways. Yeah. Um, so this, this is aviation or is this space aviation? aviation but I, I think the goal, because it's a space agency is to adapt those problems to try to get, I think that from what I've seen, a lot of the ideas that uh, are coming into space exploration now are coming from a place where, you would start off flying and then like things like Virgin Galactic, you would start off flying and then get high enough that you are now flying in space. Like getting a rocket to launch vertically and and get into orbit is ridiculous because you're basically starting from zero uh, horizontal velocity. And at the end of the thing, you have to be at like 17,000 miles an hour. So you're launching straight up to get out. But then you have to convert all of that speed yeah. to orbiting uh, velocity. And so it it would probably, if you can get it done right, it, it's a lot more energy efficient to fly up and then just sort of release the piggyback craft and then be yeah. in orbit a lot more quickly. Aren't they, aren't rockets designed to like start up and then they kind of yeah, like they do drift, this? Yeah. yeah. But getting... At that point, you basically need to almost get to escape velocity, or I mean, you do need to get to escape velocity in order to get into orbit. So 
you're having to go. It's like 11 kilometers a second or something if you want to escape Earth's orbit. Or, uh, yeah, if you want to escape Earth's gravity, yeah. I mean. And so that's a lot of energy, whereas it, would, it seems to me it would be a lot easier if you get that uh, speed horizontally and then use the air to actually lift you up higher. And then once you get up to a point where the air is so thin, that's not going to help you anymore. There's a lot less gravity. Like and with so it's an airfoil? To, to get you into space. Then you can use like with thrusters. A, like with an airfoil to lift you up? To get to get to the point where that won't help you anymore, yeah. That would be a lot of like stress on the wings to be going that fast. No, you wouldn't be going that fast at, at sort of cruising airline speeds. You'd get up to that level where the atmosphere is a lot thinner, and then you would boost into space. Like that's what Virgin Galactic was doing. Oh, okay. It was a, launching almost like a space plane where it would take the craft up. And then it would detach and then it would right. launch from there. Right. But yeah, th- this directly is they're looking at the aviation side of things, the, the money that they're getting. And they're, they're saying yeah. that it looks a lot like uh, venture capital funding. But NASA is expecting no returns from this. Just they're taking the ideas and wanting people to flesh them out into um, actual sort of rocket products and and. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess ships or planes or whatever, whatever they're yeah. looking at designing. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy how these, these types of initiatives are, are common these days and they're so easy to carry out yeah. with the internet and, and people wanting to do that. But, you know, back even 20 years ago, companies had to hire, you know, consulting firms and focus groups and marketing professionals and whatever to come up with ideas. And then you test them out on people and, but all the ideas and everything have to be generated internally and then you test them and it all costs a lot of money. But with this, it's like, Hey, we want your ideas. And it's essentially free. Exactly. To have people send in their ideas. Like it's, it's a really big benefit for the company to be able to do that, but it's a benefit for just technology and and that kind of stuff. Be able to get that type of input from, from people who aren't directly involved in the company already. So, yeah. Uh, All right. So, why don't you round us out here? Uh, give us an introduction, and I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about Pluto in weeks to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, but why don't you introduce uh, this story that ha- has been in the news for a while, but is now coming to kind of ahead, I guess you would say. Yeah, so, I don't know, for those who aren't familiar with Bill Plate and his his bad astronomy blog or section, I guess, I guess he's with Slate now, but he used to have his own, his yeah. own site. Um. But he's he's a really good guy to follow if you're ever interested in in space, and he makes it fun and and interesting and that kind of thing. So there's a uh, there's a probe that's the New Horizons spacecraft mm-hmm. is coming up to Pluto, and the planet or the Pluto formerly known as a planet, <laughs> I guess, planet. Uh, <laughs> proto planet. Yeah, it uh, it's we're we're getting a better picture of it both figuratively and and literally that before we weren't able to kind of see it up close and now that the spacecraft is is getting out there we're, we're able to kind of start seeing some uh, some hints of what it might be and this specific article was, was regarding a bright spot mm-hmm. in in a couple of the pictures that the spacecraft was taking of pluto and it's it's kind of like the the series uh landing mission and how you had that 
big shiny thing on it and people were kind of wondering what it was. Mm-hmm. And so Pluto has a similar kind of bright mystery bright spot that people are speculating about what it is. And obviously the first thing is, oh, well, maybe it's a, a photo artifact. And I guess because it's more than just one pixel, it's it's a couple pixels and it occurs in more than one f- in one photo in the same spot. So at different uh, angles of, of the picture, like kind of parallax wise. Mm-hmm. So it kind of shows that it is a real thing on the planet, but we don't know what's causing that bright, bright image artifact. Uh, so as we get closer, obviously we'll, we'll see, see what it is, but it's, it's these kinds of things that with space exploration, like any, anything you don't expect is cool. And you're excited to see more about it. And, and especially something like Pluto, where it's, it's like everyone knows what Pluto is and, it's not, you know, just this random comet or space asteroid or that kind of thing. It's like a planet or used to be a planet that we had these ideas of what it was like. And now we're getting close to it and we're seeing it for the first time. And, and it's really cool to to see these things come to light and, and speculate and try to investigate of what they might yeah. be. I, I really like that space exploration is like this. We, we send out probes and we send out spacecraft. And then five or 10 years down the road, we have these results. The, the scientists that are working on these programs are working 24-7 to make sure that everything is working out the way that they expect it to. But for us, we forget that like this was launched nine years ago and it's now at Pluto. Like, it's now so f- unfathomably far away that no human can actually conceive of that distance realistically like we can we can read the numbers out that it's five billion kilometers away but like that it's so far yeah well and like the crazy thing is that we're still able to communicate with the spacecraft and is that far away yeah like that's that's insane i don't actually know how far away that pluto is in light minutes or in light hours but yeah, the communication distance over that between Pluto and Earth is insanely large. So it's not like when we when we send out spacecraft like that, you have to plan to not be able to communicate with it in real time. So every calculation you make has to be reasoned and well in advance of of the actual uh, thing having to take place. I think it's several hours, but I'm not actually sure how. It's uh. 0.29 light days okay so like six hours so so yeah seven okay. hours 6.95 yeah. hours crazy which sounds pretty close actually it to receive a signal seven hours later that's not horrible that's it, it sounds crazy though like that's so long it is in when you think about this just traveling the speed of light yeah. yeah it is pretty far yeah. away yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you think of you're receiving an email eight hours, like you're you're waiting for information. You get it seven hours later. That's not bad, right? Right, but I mean, if you're, it's like, what do the pictures look like? And then the next day, you get your answer. <laughs> but it's more like <laughs> if you're driving a car, you're like, oh, turn left, turn left. Oh no, seven hours later, no, you missed the turn. <laughs> <laughs> it's a million clones uh, yeah. behind us now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yes, so that's happening in two weeks. Apparently, it's arriving at. Uh, Pluto's North Pole, and so yeah. we'll we'll be keeping up with that in the coming weeks. Yeah, totally. 
I think that about does it for the show. You have anything else to add? Yeah. No, I think that's uh, that's cool. good. Covered, covered. I like this. I like the format of having that little after show yeah, at the end. Me too. I think it worked out. Um, so I will say if you get, if you've made it to this point in the show and you haven't subscribed or left us a rating and or review on iTunes yet or wherever you leave uh, podcast reviews, consider doing so because uh, they really do help us out. And uh, we also like any kind words you would have on, uh, on Twitter or Facebook or wherever you find the show. Yeah. Or send us an email. Yeah. I think we have send emails. us an email if you want. Um, I'm not even going to give you the address because if you are listening to the show and you want to send us email, you can find it. I believe in your resourcefulness, <laughs> kind listener. 